once again. It is exciting to be here with you today uh, as we finish out the book of John. I was both uh, surprised and yet pleased when about a month ago I had uh, Dennis come to me and say, hey, I'm going to be on vacation this week. You're going you're gonna, to uh, preach this passage. I said, okay, which passage? He told me it's the end of the passage of John. I thought, oh. So I was surprised because that, that makes me a closer. And everyone loves a closer, right? It's a... I know it's football season. That's a baseball reference. Um, but I, I was ultimately very pleased because I actually, I really, really love the Gospel of John, and I especially love John chapter 21. It is such a beautifully written passage. Uh, I, I've talked about it in, in recent weeks as is almost one big flashback. Like, it just seems like everything we read in this last chapter alludes to something that happened uh, previously. Um, just ask the 11th and 12th graders uh, who I've been teaching the last few weeks over, over John 21. I love this passage, do I not, Ian? It's, it's a wonderful passage. Just nod with me, say amen. It, it absolutely is, and today's passage, the last few verses, are no exception. But before I begin to set the scene, I've got an odd question for you here today. Um, by show of hands, if you would, and if you're online, you can raise your hand just not going to know that you're raising your hand. Uh, but if you're here today, if you're willing, raise your hand if you're willing to admit that at any point in your life you've ever read a comic book. Wow, all right, good. I knew that no matter what, I'd have at least one hand up because I knew that my dad has read tons of comic books, okay? He, when he was growing up, he began to read comic books. Um, really enjoyed that, picked it up as a hobby. Back then, they were a lot cheaper, uh, but he, he had lots of comic books, and to this day, I can, I can search through his house and find the old boxes full of them. But when I was growing up, he kind of passed that down to me. In fact, there was one particular Christmas when I was in middle school, and he bought me, he had been buying comics for me for like months leading up to that Christmas, and that was my big gift that year. I got like a box full of, full of comic books, right? All of that to say is that I'm admittedly fairly well-versed in superheroes, right? Makes me a bit of a nerd, but I think that's rather common these days, uh, certainly with the movies that we see constantly coming out and everything that uh, Marvel has done. But I want to point out something for you this morning about superheroes that I found interesting. Uh, many of them have sidekicks, right? And, and that's, uh, it's, it, there's something interesting about that e even further. Those sidekicks are often young heroes, right? I mean, the most popular one is Robin, right? Batman and Robin. Why would a man dressed as a bat fight crime and take a child with him, right? It seems horribly irresponsible, totally intentional uh, by the comic book writers. Their goal, their goal, you see, when they're creating these sidekicks back in the, the early 40s is that they wanted younger readers, right? They're, they're trying to get children to be able to read their comic books. And in so doing, they start throwing children into these superheroes. So if you've ever had that thought, I'm sure many of you have, why on earth would a child go with Batman? You're already overlooking the question, why would a man dress as a bat and go fight crime? But if you've gotten past that, that's why, right? So we end up with Batman and Robin. We end up with Captain America and Bucky, Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, Flash and Kid Flash. And, and I could go on, but that is not what you came here for today. Now, some of you, though, some of you would... Uh, be happy if I continued. Uh, <laughs> the rest of you will be happy to know I'm almost done. Uh, but the sidekicks always have this young age in common. They also always go with the heroes, right? They go with them to fight crime, right? So Robin goes with Batman, and what we find is they are trying their best to follow in their footsteps. In fact, some of them follow so well in the footsteps that eventually 
they really do take up the mantle of the hero they're following. And so Robin becomes Batman. Bucky becomes Captain America. And, and for a while, that seems all right, but it never fools the readers. The readers are never content when you change their main hero. They always, always revert back. And so Bruce Wayne eventually becomes Batman again, and Steve Rogers eventually becomes Captain America again. You see, the heroes, these sidekicks, do a good job at following in the footsteps, but they never fully are the same. It's just not the same. Never quite the same hero. And so we always go back. But I want you to catch one more thing about these, these heroes, right? The original hero always takes back up that mantle. He's never fully re replaceable. But the sidekicks are doing their best to follow in the footsteps. And today we're going to look closely at this relationship between Peter and Jesus, and especially this question that we see really come to the forefront of the passage uh, just inevitably, right? And thanks to Luke, we're going to get to see that answer. But the question is, will Peter faithfully follow in Jesus' footsteps? Will he do his best? Will he try to be as much like Jesus as he can? Of course, that begs the question for you here today. Will any of us do that? Will any of us try our best to be like Jesus? None of us, absolutely none of us, are going to replace our Savior. None of us will pick up that mantle. But will we do our best to follow him? Will we do our best to be as much like him as he can? So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 21. As, as we finish it out, we're going to be starting in verse 19. Uh, and we'll, we'll go through verse 25, which is the end. But this, th this will, like I said, finish out 21, and it overlaps with last week, just as last week overlapped with the week before. When you're looking at so beautifully a written chapter by John here in 21, it's hard to uh, separate out. So we're going to have a little bit of overlap. Let me set the stage for you again, right? So, so far in the passage... We've seen the disciples go fishing with Peter. So they go out on a boat, they go fishing, and they're not catching anything, right? And then we see Jesus show up, and he tells them, hey, fish on the other side of the boat. So they do so, and they pull in tons of fish. I think it's about 153 fish they pull in. At this point, they realize it's the Lord. Peter jumps into the water, swims to Peter. Then they bring the fish in. They have breakfast together. Then we see this really intimate conversation between Peter and between Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he tells him to feed a sheep. And then he begins to tell him about this, this, this allusion to his death, right? And John's going to make that clear in verse 19. And that is where we pick up in today's passage. When John writes this and he alludes, uh, when, when Jesus here says, and he alludes to Peter's death ultimately and how he would glorify him. So if you would this morning, read with me beginning in, in John 21, verse 19. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and he saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die, but if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and he wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. 
And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Like I said, what a beautiful way to end the Gospel of John with such beautifully written words. But this, this morning, we are going to dig deeper into this passage. And we're going to start with that, that question that Peter asked Jesus in, in verse 21. We see this question up here. What about him? And, and I have to say, we're eating breakfast together, right? And he's, he must be walking by now, right? Because he's turning around and, and John is following them, right? So at some point, they must have gotten up and, and, and began walking around, or perhaps when Jesus says, the first time, follow me, maybe he is not only speaking figuratively, but literally, hey, get up, follow me. We've got more to talk about, right? And so maybe that's what's happening. Either way, though, he begins to notice that John is falling behind. You know that it's John because we see this catchphrase here, the disciple who Jesus loved, which is John's fun way of referring to himself, his little nickname all throughout the book of John. And he's going to kind of sign his signature there at the end of this passage here pretty soon. So Peter sees him, and he wonders about John's destiny as well. He's just heard about his. He's just heard about his. It seems that he understands what Jesus is referring to as he alludes to his death, and he wants to know about John. It's hard to tell from the text why Peter wants to know so bad. What, what's, is this out of rivalry? Is this out of friendship? See, because there's this really weird relationship with John and Peter. It's hard to understand throughout the whole book of John what, what exactly is going on. I mean, you see at the Last Supper that, in fact, when he refers here that, you know, this is the disciple who Jesus loved, the one who asked Jesus at the Last Supper who was going to betray him. If you go back to that passage in John, Peter's the guy who said, hey, ask him. He motioned him. He said, hey, ask Jesus who he means. So we're seeing this relationship with John and Peter. He's comfortable enough saying, hey, find out who he's talking about. We also see later, though, when they're going to the empty tomb that they, like, they, like race and John's careful to note, and I got there first. <laughs> so we're seeing this weird, you know, is this a rivalry? Is this a friendship? There, there must be some kind of friendship here. After all, they have this bond and unity with Christ together. In fact, James, John, and Peter, those, those three are actually, they kind of form the inner circle of Jesus is what we see throughout, throughout the Gospels. If you pay attention, he's got 12 disciples, right? But oftentimes the 12 disciples will go somewhere. And then the inner three will go a little bit further with him, right? So we see they get to experience just a little bit more. So they form this, this tight bond, this tight friendship, James, John, and Peter. Now, if they're spending a lot of time together, in fact, James and John, they were brothers. So, so we certainly see a lot of time being spent together. So they might be, you know, all of these things will play into this question, right? So are we looking at rivalry? Are we looking at friendship? Either way, he asked this question about John. What about him. Now, of course, maybe it is some rivalry. Maybe he's, he's concerned, you know, will John get further glory than me? If I'm going to glorify you with death, will, will John do it better? You know, or if I'm going to have to die, is John going to have to die? Maybe it's friendship. Maybe he's, uh, do, will he get to work with me? Do I get to shepherd with him? Or is he going to be there for me as I'm trying to lead the church? Or is he going to die right there beside me, glory sending for the both of us? Who knows? Who knows why? But we do know that this question is, is asked. Now, I want to point out two things. I want to approach this question that he asked in two ways, because I think we often ask this question. We ask, what about him? Or what about her? What about them? And, so, and, and I've especially noticed it in one way in particular. This is the first way I'll talk about it. I've noticed nowadays, especially in, in the, the generation that, that 
I'm in, right? The young adult generation, I've noticed this question pops up more and more in a particular way. And let me explain. How many of you, by show of hands again, I'm going to make you raise your hands a lot, but how many of you, by show of hands, would say that you've ever seen someone on Facebook or Instagram who was supposed to be a Christian but who wasn't necessarily acting like it? Right? Now, don't shout their names out. Just raise your hand. Right. But how many of you, this is a more honest question, would you ever say that you've been that person who's not really acting much like a Christian? I agree. Me too. And, and, and this is what we see, right? So we see Christians are sometimes bad at being Christians. Plain and simple. We are, we are sometimes bad at it. Uh, none of you are perfect yet. Uh, Jesus has not snatched you up and said, oh, you're just so perfect, you're going to come home right now, right? And, and like, like uh, uh, two figures in the Old Testament, we see that just, God just takes home, <laughs> right? No, no death, just takes home. So the question I see from many young unbelievers nowadays, especially many who grew up in the church and who are no longer affiliated with the church, oftentimes their, their concern is, well, what about all the bad stuff that Christians have done? What about all the bad stuff that churches have done? They, the church hurt me, right? And, and they've got serious accusations against this church, right? Not, not this church in particular necessarily, but churches out there have done horrible, horrible things in the name of Christ. So what about them? Isn't, I mean, that, that's a good enough reason why I don't want to believe in Jesus. But let, let me suggest this. To anyone who's ever struggled with that question, what about when the church is bad or, or Christians really stink at being Christians. I don't want to believe because of that. Let me suggest this to you. Christianity is not made untrue because of anything a Christian can say or do. Hear that. Nobody and nothing can change the truth of the gospel. It's just not true. We, we can't do anything about that. I could be the worst Christian I, I could imagine, right? I could completely abandon Christ and I could do everything I want to do. I could do all kinds of mean things. I could kill people in the name of Christ. It's not going to change the fact that there really was a Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us. So the question is not, what about them? The question is, is it true? Could it be true? Could a Savior really have come? Could he have really died for me? That's the more important question. Tomorrow morning, you could all decide that you want to fill my inbox with all kinds of mean, nasty things you want to say about me. I didn't like the way you dressed. I didn't like the way you said this. I didn't like you talking about comic books from the stage. You could say all kinds of mean things, and it's not going to change the fact that when I get up tomorrow morning, Jesus Christ is still going to be the Savior. It won't change. Nobody and nothing can change the truth of the gospel. We still ask that as an excuse sometimes. What about him? What about her? There were times as a uh, child, since I had three siblings, we didn't always get along, if that's a surprise to any of you. Uh, there were times though, that we did get along. And some of those times, my whole family's over here laughing. <laughs> Sometimes when we did get along, though, uh, it, it wasn't always for good reasons, right? We'd be getting along because we're up to something. And, and so we'll, we'll get in trouble. And many of those times that that happened, it'd be me and Jonathan. And... Uh, and Jonathan, being my only brother, I, I was careful to teach him everything I knew. And, and that wasn't always good for Jonathan. Uh, but there, there was one time period uh, when I discovered what a Nerf gun was. And I, I begged my dad for weeks, please buy me a Nerf gun. And he bought me one single Nerf gun. And by the next year, I had every Nerf gun. Every single one that existed, I had the double barrel shotgun Nerf gun. I had the, like the weird machine gun Nerf gun. Everything. 
I had it. There were like Nerf tomahawks and swords. Those are the things that Jonathan used. He's like, forget the shooting people. I want to like throw stuff at him. And, and so Jonathan and I, you know, we, and I was a good brother, guys. I taught him how to, how to shoot this Nerf gun. I'd set up little toys, target practice, shoot one of those, you know. A little action figure, shoot him, get him down. All right, step further back, shoot him again, you know. So I trained him. I was ready. And I wanted to be ready because sometimes Jonathan and I with those Nerf guns, We'd go hunting, right? I don't know how many hunters we have in here, uh, but there's only one thing to hunt for when you have two sisters. <laughs> I guess I don't have to say it. You know what I'm hunting, right? And, and so we would get all decked up. We had like, 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 there was this weird body armor that you could wear, a little, little piece of like cardboard that would go over you. And so we'd have all this stuff ready to go. We'd have, I'd have every Nerf gun imaginable. I'd get like a dart bell across my chest. Everything is ready to go. And Jonathan and I would go hunting. And Jonathan, again, he was always equipped with that like Nerf sword and a Nerf tomahawk. Now, we kind of sneak, we're stealthy people. We sneak into the, the den and we see our two sisters watching TV on, on the couch together. And then somewhere in the middle of that, I'd yell, attack, right? And so we'd go, and I'd fire every dart I can. Jonathan's throwing tomahawks at him, and, and, and by this point, they're upset. They're screaming at us, get out, leave us alone. And the dog at this point, who never, ever liked it when Nerf guns came into play, the dog starts barking. So if you can imagine, this is creating kind of a racket. So dad hears from the other room. I can only imagine he's in the other room probably sighing. And so he gets up, and he comes in the other room, and we're still in combat, all right? I am firing everything I've got. And Jonathan, he was smart sometimes. He'd throw that tomahawk or that sword or fire a couple shots. He'd go grab his tomahawk, and then he'd run. He'd go back to the room. Me, I was far more selfish. I, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not leaving till every last Nerf bullet hits my sisters, and, and I've got empty clips, right? So I'd stay and, and finish this fight. And fight. <laughs> They're just sitting there. <laughs> they wouldn't fight back. And, and dad would come around the corner, and who would he see standing there with their Nerf guns? Literally with the smoking guns, right? Well, Nerf guns didn't smoke, but darts everywhere, right? The evidence was clear. It was me messing with the girls. And so who do you think got in trouble? Right, me. And some of you may have heard that phrase before, snitches get stitches, Right? We did not live by that, no. So the first thing I would say is, uh, Jonathan was with me. He did it too. And Jonathan's like all the way back in his room by now, covering in the sheets like, I'm taking a nap. No, no, right? And I, I, would, I would rat him out so fast. And that was, that was any of us. Anytime anything went wrong, anytime one of us got in trouble, we'd all just rat each other out so fast. Uh, some of you may have noticed that with your children. We, we just learn it. We just rat each other out. And, and there was no such thing as a, as snitches get stitches, instead it was, if I'm going down, you're coming with me. And so Brittany was really good at it because she's got a good memory. She, she'd get in trouble and she'd be like, because let's be fair, she knew she'd be getting in trouble because I did something to like set her up, right? You're definitely going to fall for this and you're going to get in trouble for it. But sometimes she'd get really smart and she'd like recall things from three weeks ago to throw me under the bus. I'm like, how do you remember that? And so we we call each other under the bus, and my parents would inevitably say something much like Jesus says to Peter. So what? What is it? You think that's going to save you right now? <laughs> right? You're, you're going to get in trouble no matter what. You're getting grounded regardless of what they did, regardless if they were here with you. 
You see, when we ask this question, what about them? What about uh, the, the Christians who are so bad at it? What about, what about? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter, right? The only person whose eternity we are responsible for is ours. Nobody and nothing can change the gospel, no matter how poorly they demonstrate it. It's not an excuse for us. Now, there's another way that we can look at this uh, a question, right? This may have been this positive question of curiosity that Peter is asking about shepherding Christ's flock. And, and he, he asked John, you know, what, what about him, right? I want to know, I'm just curious about his destiny too. I'm just curious, what, what are you going to do with him? And Jesus responds still, what is that to you? What does it matter? You see, we're all going to have our unique roles in the kingdom of God. We're all going to have purposes that God's assigned to us. God has a purpose for you as a Christian. We, we often use this language of calling when we talk about that, that God's got a call on your life. And he does. He truly has a, a calling he placed on your life. And the truth is that call has nothing to do with anyone else. It doesn't have anything to do with anyone else's call. For instance, if Matthew tomorrow decided he's done with it, he's fed up, maybe you send him emails too, I don't know, but he's fed, fed up with it and he's leaving, he's going to Canada, he doesn't want to be a worship pastor anymore, right? Or maybe he's going to Tarshish, he is running from his call, right? And if he decides that, does that mean I am no longer a pastor? No, that would be silly, right? And what weird world would my call be contingent upon his, and what weird world would my faithfulness to, to be the pastor that God's asked me to be be in some weird way contingent upon his? It wouldn't. It's just not true. Our call is not based on someone else's call. If God calls you to do something, do it. It doesn't matter who else is doing it. It doesn't matter if he's asked someone else. It doesn't matter if someone else is running from that same calling. For instance, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're ready and willing to believe Christ is real and you're ready to submit your life to him, but you're struggling because someone else doesn't believe that or you think maybe they're going to criticize me when I start believing it. They think Christians are really silly, but I'm really close with them. It's not a good enough excuse. It's not good enough because our call to believe is not based on someone else's call to believe. You understand there's a lot I could say about God's call in our lives today. Uh, in fact, if we're not going to dig too deep into it, right, because there could be a whole series on it. In fact, there is a whole series on it right now. We're teaching that back in the youth titled Called Out. It's our sermon series. And we're learning about uh, God's calling in our lives. And you can watch our, our midweek playbacks in order to see how we're discussing that. But I will say a couple of things. God will affirm your calling oftentimes with other people. It's just one of the things we've seen, a trend that we've seen is God will often affirm that calling with other people. And he'll definitely affirm it with the church, especially if you're called to be like a pastor. It has to be. Logic says it, right? If I think I'm a pastor, but no church around will hire me to be a pastor, my calling's not being affirmed here, okay? So I, I've got to re rethink this, reevaluate, continue to pray. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But eventually, our callings will often be affirmed, but ultimately, it does not matter whether Jesus is going to call John to live or to die. What matters here is that Jesus did call Peter to follow him and ultimately to die for him. He's called Peter to this, so the question is still the same. Regardless of John's destiny, will you or will you not follow me, Peter? Will you or will you not? Church, if the whole world stopped believing in Jesus tomorrow, would you stop too? If, if it was ruled in some scientific evidence that God could not have been real, would that stop you? If this whole church stopped following Christ, would you stop too? It also doesn't matter, church, what another church does. 
It doesn't matter if God's called this church to go there and partner with so-and-so. What about that church? They're so much bigger than us. They must be more successful than us. What are they doing? We have to copy them and be just like them. Did God call us to be just like them? No. God's called us to be us. God's called us to the purpose that he's assigned for us. So it doesn't matter what another church does. We look at scripture. We listen closely to the Holy Spirit. And then we follow Christ. We don't look at what other churches are doing. We follow Christ. I want to keep going this morning. Let's, let's look again at, at verse 23. John takes a moment here and he stops literally just to stop a rumor from spreading. But I, I guess if you're writing your own gospel, your own testimony of what Jesus did, and there's a rumor about you at the same time, now's as good a time as any to stop the rumor because <laughs> everyone's going to read it. <laughs> well, John takes some time here. He stops this rumor, and it's, it's, it's helpful to understand uh, part of this rumor could be getting really interesting that he's not going to die before Jesus comes back because at this point, he's probably the last guy writing his gospel. We think that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already gotten their gospels written in circulation, and John's probably the last one here to write. That's why he writes so differently. He's not writing to let you know all the facts. He's writing to convince you and persuade you to believe in Jesus. He's writing theologically. So this question of will John die could be getting pretty interesting because John's probably getting pretty old. And they're thinking, you're looking pretty old. You've had a couple spots where we thought maybe someone was going to kill you or are you going to die? Or is Jesus coming back like tomorrow? How is this going to work? So it could be becoming an important question. Will John die? And so he takes a moment to, to stop that. I want to point out something else, though, is that John's death is not like everyone else's. When we eventually see John die, church tradition, church history tells us that he most likely died of old age in Ephesus. Basically, every other disciple was killed for their faith. Think of Peter and James this morning, Peter and James specifically, were definitely killed. Again, church tradition says that, that Peter, just like Jesus alluded to here, was killed, crucified even. James, we find out in Acts chapter 12, he was killed by Herod, put him to death with the sword. So you see a lot of Peter and some of John and a lot of Paul in the book of Acts. You don't see much of James. That's because he was killed. So of those three people, of those three who were likely all close friends, all very close to Jesus. Of those three, almost all three of them were killed for their faith. Almost all three of them became martyrs or executed, but not John. Not John. But John does something really interesting here with the Greek. John, is a, he's a great writer, guys, great writer. And he loves wordplay. Go read John 1 again. He loves wordplay. And, and th this passage is no exception. In verse 24 the CSB says here that, that when he signs his signature here, right, this is the one testifying to these things. I don't love the word testify used there by the CSB, although it's probably the clearest way to understand it. But the, the Greek word is actually martyron. It means bearing witness. It's just another way to say testify. Bearing witness, though, you'll notice that the word martyron is where we get the word martyr, which means witness. So he clears up this rumor about his death. Maybe, maybe he's holding out hope that he will be a martyr, but he hasn't been and he, and he won't be. But he clears up this rumor about his death, and then he says, almost, almost regardless of whether or not they're going to die, my, my buddies, my brother James and my, my buddy Peter are both called to be martyrs, but I'm a witness. They may die, but I'm, I'm also a witness. You see, of the three 
all three became witnesses. Only two of them were martyrs. You see that this morning? Not all three of them were called to die, but all three of them were called to be witnesses. And that is the exact same way with us. We won't all call, be called to be martyrs, but we darn well better be witnesses for him. It's our calling. It's what he's telling us to do. Follow him. Be witnesses. Which is, I noticed this this morning only, uh, when, when Matthew's got everyone reading John 1 up here, you'll notice that it begins with, there was a man named John, and he was a witness. So too we end with John signing his name here, this is John, by the way, speaking. I'm a witness. So are you. See, we're called like John to tell people about Christ. One more thing about that word, martyron, that, that bearing witness, it's an active word. It's an active verb. It's not a passive thing. See, when I was in college, I joined a guy's social club. A guy's social club is just another uh, private school Christian way of saying fraternity. Okay, Basically uh, the same thing. They, they have this thing called pledging season where you get into the club after a particular pledging season. That's that thing that we see in the news all the time with clubs and, and schools getting in trouble for because they do all kinds of crazy weird stuff and they get people hurt doing it, right? At my private Christian school, all it really meant for, for our club in particular was a time period to teach these, these kids who want to join our club, these other guys that, hey, th this is what it looks like. Here's some fun activities that we'll do to, to help show you this is what it's like to be a club member. These are the things we care about. But it'd go on for weeks. The whole school would do it all at the same time, all the clubs at once. And you go on for weeks, you do this pledging process, and at the end of it, you become a member. Congratulations. All you gotta do is show up and do all these things, and you're a member. Now, one thing we'd see, and one thing you see with almost any club, is after someone joins, they might become inactive. There's a word we had, inactive status. Now, Inactive was just a way of being in the club without being in the club, okay? You get to go to all the fun stuff, do, do all the fun events. You just don't have to go to any of the meetings. You don't have to vote on anything, right? So if there's a barbecue, you get to go to the barbecue. You just don't have to bring the sausage. You don't have to cook it. Somebody else will do that. The active members will do that. The inactive members just get to kind of have fun, kind of relax. And there's a lot of good reasons for being inactive, but I've noticed it nonetheless Inactive is an easier way to be part of the club. And I'm oversimplifying that process, but I do wonder how many times we as Christians go inactive. How many times we allow ourselves to take this inactive role, this inactive status in our faith. That's a paradox, church. An inactive Christian is a paradox. A Christian who does not witness is really hardly a Christian at all. In fact, the best definition you could give me for a Christian who's not witnessing is a disobedient Christian. It's a paradox. It's not at all what we're meant to be. And we see that here in the passage. I'm not making this up, I promise. It's in Scripture here. Jesus says, follow me. That's for us too, not just Peter. Follow me. John, John literally says this was all written so that you would believe and follow him. In order to follow him, you have to know what he says. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus says, go, make disciples, tell people about me. So if you're not being a witness, you're not telling people about Jesus, we're being disobedient. We are all called to be witnesses. Finally, verse 25 is one of the prettiest ways I've ever seen an ending to a gospel. It's the best way to end it. It's beautiful if, if all the things that Jesus did were written down not even the whole world could contain the books. 
You want to know why John couldn't possibly write down everything Jesus did? Because he's still doing stuff here and now. He's still using you. He's doing stuff here in your lives, here and now. John was the witness, but guess what? John's dead. James is dead. Peter is dead. You're not. If you're here this morning, congratulations, you're alive. Maybe that's news to some of you. But if you're alive this morning and you're a Christian, you are a witness. You are called to bear witness to Christ, to the truth of Christ. If all the books can't be written, that's what your job is. That's what our job is. We're called to be these witnesses, to tell the world about what Jesus is doing in our lives. And I understand that that got really difficult during COVID, right? When we go into a pandemic mode, we go into isolation, it becomes really, really easy. And many of us, at some point or another, most likely clicked off, went to inactive status. I don't really have to do all the things a Christian has to do. I don't really have to tell people about Jesus because I can't, right? No one's going to listen to me when I knock at their door right now. They're like, why are you knocking at my door, man? I don't want the COVID. So we have to be careful. We have to be cautious. We as a church tried to get creative. That's why we have these faith videos, these testimonies that you can film and post. That's just a way for us to help you continue to be a witness, to continue to be faithful, continue to be obedient. But COVID doesn't let us off the hook, church. COVID does not let us off the hook We don't get to use that as an excuse. We are still called to be witnesses. It doesn't say here in the passage, be witnesses for me unless it gets really tricky and really hard. No, be creative. We still have to be witnesses. So as the praise team comes back up for our final song, I'm gonna stand down front here like normal. I'm gonna invite our evangelism intern, Cole, to be down here and standing here. And if this this passage, if the Lord is using it to speak to you in any way this morning, I encourage you that, we're going to offer you this time to respond. I encourage you to do so in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you're one of those people who's chasing after that excuse this morning that I don't want to believe or I don't want to follow or I don't want to accept a calling because of this or that or so-and-so. They're not doing it very well. Or the church isn't doing a very good job, so I, I don't want to be a part of that. That's not a good enough excuse. Don't let anyone make those excuses for you. Don't let people be your excuse to not be a Christian. Don't let people be your excuse to not witness. And don't let people be your excuse not to be a part of the church. We're called to do all of those. People can't be your excuse for that. Hopefully, though, this passage has been very encouraging for many of you. As believers, you, you read this passage, and you're excited about the end of John. And you're like, yeah, I want to go out and be a witness. I'm ready. Good. Be encouraged. But if it was convicting for anyone... That's what this time is for. Maybe you were one of those who's gone inactive and it's time to get back to active. Time to repent of that, to turn from that and to go be witnesses for Christ. Get back to work this morning. Get back to being Christians this morning. With any of these though, Cole and I are gonna be here. We're gonna be ready and willing to pray with you, to talk to you more about it. The altar is open. You can come just pray. Just be here and pray. Or you can pray right where you are. But the question before you, after this whole passage of, of, of John chapter 21, after this whole book, when John worked so hard to convince you that Jesus is real and that he's worth following, he's worth believing in, the last words Jesus says in the gospel of John are, follow me. So the question before you this morning, will you or will you not follow Jesus this morning? You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. 
in all things. To God be the glory, honor, and praise.